What's up everyone, Kevin Wagstaff here. Another episode of Spectora Spotlight with a slight twist. We're doing a different format this time. I wanted to try something new just to shake it up. Felt like the standard interviews were getting a little too much routine um, and, and wanted to try something new where I just went back and forth and bantered and kind of riffed on different topics with an inspector. Um, so had Alan Deshari come back, it was partly his idea. We kind of brainstormed this together. Um, to just talk about what's interesting to each of us and to kind of just be more candid with our thoughts and just kind of see where the conversation goes. So I hope you enjoy it. I've enjoyed this from other podcasts that I've listened to where um, everyone that's listening is kind of just a fly on the wall, just hearing a conversation between two people in our industry. So I'm going to look to do this more. I think it went really well. Um, so definitely give me your feedback. Let me know if you liked this format. And if you have ideas for anyone that would want to be on or if you yourself would want to um, and if you have ideas and, and topics that are just interesting to our industry and can kind of push it to the next level um, i'm always looking to dive into topics that um, either help all of our users and listeners or just advance our thinking and, and uncover you know gems and things that we wouldn't have otherwise thought of so hope you enjoy it let me know what you think and uh, appreciate you guys for always listening Hey, how are you? Doing good. How are you? Doing well. Um, man, we can get into it in a minute, but okay. Two furnaces went out uh, last night because it got cold here in, in Denver, just like a oh one, man, like a one day freeze basically. And not only my furnace went out, but um, our rental property as well. So. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> There's worse problems to have, man, but it's like, you know, it, it happens and then you can't get a hold of an HVAC guy. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like sometimes home inspection. Of course. Of Never course. Yeah. Can't find someone. Yep. Yep. I know what that's like. Yeah. Well, oh man. Yeah. We, we're probably dealing with the same weather front. We, uh, it, it got down to, I think th 47 or something. Oof. Yeah. Which is chilly for early september i mean just day, labor day it was 100 degrees so. right <laughs> yeah the the drastic change is what's like kind of shocking to me yeah yeah yep that's right well is it is it still a good time for you to uh to do this or do you oh, have some stuff you got to take care of oh no, man this is great that stuff okay. will work itself out this is this is equally as important nice nice good um but yeah man the yeah the first of all that when i think of like isn't is the temperature changes getting more drastic like that's what everyone says but it's like i feel like they are over the years you know the last I, years. I think so it sure seems like it and and i don't know how much of that is um like we're getting older <laughs> <laughs> right right so we feel it more you know maybe when you're younger you're like eh, all right it's true but you know they say older is colder <laughs> and so uh the older you get the more the more distinctly you feel the changes but i guess you'd have to see data to see if it if the fluctuations in fact yeah are changing you know for sure um no this is i'm this is i'm pumped to do this because i listened to a, a, a podcast that has kind of switched formats also and they you know they went from kind of like the standard interview stuff and then they said you know what that it did, not that it got boring, but it just started to get too um, routine. So then they just started doing more conversational of like, hey, let's shoot the shit. What do you want to talk about? And I've loved those ones because you're just kind of like in the room with these two people just chatting. So Right, right. Oh, I, loved, I loved, I think it was your idea. So I loved it. So I'm glad to have you back. Yeah, man. I'm happy to do it. So hopefully we can, uh, you know, raise the bar for the industry, help other guys and help other folks out there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff coming out of this podcast and uh, I only wish that more folks could, could access it and be aware of it and, you know, take advantage of it. Cause it's, there's some good stuff here. I appreciate that. I know I need to promote it better, um, put it in more places, but yeah, I mean, just, I mean, there's so many little things, like even the things we even mentioned off the top of our head to chat, chat through, like those don't usually come up in kind of a standard, you know, just kind of like the standard interview format. So I love it. So yeah, um, yeah. we can, we can just jump right in. Man. Um, 
Well, what, what's been going on with you since last time we chatted? Same old crazy. Well, um, let's see. Yeah, uh, it, it's been really busy. It, it like kind of evened out. And then, um, man, it just picked up right around when school started. Almost like maybe the week prior to school, people were uh, putting, putting house hunting on pause. And then school started. And they're like, all right, let's get back in gear. So it, it got real busy for sure. And, uh, and this week is not crazy, but last week was. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So that's All good. problems. That's right. That's right. Not complaining one bit. Yep. Well, cool. Let's, let's just dive into some of these things we we're going to talk about. And I have like the negative reviews thing. So let's talk about negative reviews, how to respond to them. Um, okay. something, something that's been talked about, you know, a little bit in our industry. Everyone's obviously worried about it. Um, I, I had an experience this morning, actually. So I was looking for an HVAC guy, right? So I get on Google, go straight to Google reviews and, and look at all the, you know, four and a half to five star people in there. And I click on a four and a half star HVAC guy and, you know, a couple, I see two one star reviews, you know, in all caps. This is the worst contractor I've ever had, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, and I do what I always do. I scroll down and look at the response from the owner. And it was exactly textbook as you should do it. Thanking the person for the review, kind of clarifying a few things, didn't come off as defensive or, you know, like they were pissed off, basically stuck to the facts and took time to do that. And I read that and didn't hold it against the guy. So I was like, you know what? Maybe he got a crazy that just left him a review. So I ended up calling right. them. They're going to come out either later today or tomorrow. And Boom, you know, like two one-star reviews. And I think everyone can empathize with that, I'm sure, or most. Sure. Um, but yeah, I want to hear your take just on on what prompted you to say, you know what, let's talk about, let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah, be happy to. Yep. Well, uh I was just crossing a uh, hundred reviews and a uh, hundred five-star reviews actually, with no negatives. And um, you're at 115 now. It's crazy. I just checked. Yeah. You're 115 five stars. So you can't actually relate to this, but maybe you. <laughs> but maybe you can act. You you can prepare yourself, and you know we can talk about what what is it going to be like if you kind of get that person that's just unreasonable and, and just doesn't see things the way you see them. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be good. So are we are we live now? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well. Um, yeah. This guy. It was interesting. This guy told me. Um, he said, yeah, I looked you up online. I saw you had all these five-star reviews and you had like over a hundred five-star reviews, but I started thinking, man, something's not right. I mean, if you have too many and you don't have any negatives. <laughs> they start questioning you. Yeah. I start questioning like, is this guy buying reviews or what is going on? I'm like, wow, that didn't even cross my mind. No. I mean, you could contact any one of those people. I did work for him. Those are legit reviews, you know. Well, right, right after that, um, uh, I had an issue with a customer where they were not, basically what it boiled down to was um, expectations and just not reading the pre-inspection agreement. Um, mm. And she went on Facebook and left a review, a negative review. And, uh, I, and I wondered about that because I've not worked the Facebook side of reviews. I've exclusively focused on Google. Right. And, and so maybe going on Facebook was her way of saying, well, this is, I'm going to hit them where it hurts because you only have like one or two on Facebook. Um, and now you have, you know, one out of three is a negative one. Right. Um, yeah. Do so, they let you respond on there? They do let you respond okay. on Facebook. I don't yeah. remember. I, don't, I, I haven't kept up with their changes. Yes. They do let you respond on there. So, uh, so yeah, so I, that, that's how that, that came about. Um, I did issue a response and then, uh, and then I shifted my, in my uh, Spectora Advanced, um, I shifted the, the focus on the follow-up email to say, um, would you please leave a Facebook review? Nice, <laughs> smart, yeah. And, uh, and then uh, of course, a lot of people don't have Facebook or I figured some people don't have Facebook. So at the very bottom of the email, in, in parentheses, I say, if you don't have a Facebook account, you can always still leave a review for us mm. on Google. Nice. So, and ironically, uh, since that has happened still, I mean, most people are going to Google to leave the review. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's good to know. That's Isn't that interesting? Because, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm working hard uh, putting that Facebook link just right there and just asking for a Facebook review. And yet they will find the obscure 
partly hidden link at the bottom of the email for Google. <laughs> <laughs> that says something though, right? That's like good intel for us to, to hear and think about because I was always shocked when I talked to an inspector, I'd see their page and they had, you know, hundred on Facebook. I'm like, do people like that? My mind doesn't think about Facebook when I think of reviews and local service professionals. Like it just doesn't, maybe I'm different. Maybe I'm of a different, you know, demographic or generation, but yeah. yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. I mean, uh, I, I don't. And my wife used to have a Facebook account. She doesn't anymore. Um, so I'm just aware. I mean, okay, there's there are people that just don't even have an account. So if I work that market real hard, uh, I, I'm losing out on the segment. And of course, so many people use Google app and Google Maps and yeah. um, because they feel like, well, that's going to shop locally. If I pull up my Maps app and search for inspectors, that's better than pulling up my browser, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and then Facebook is like so weird on their algorithms and metrics and how they, all their protocols are so weird. You just never know. You know, I don't know too many people who are going to look for a professional on Facebook. No. Now they may, they may check you out or you may come across their feed and they say, Oh, I've heard of this guy. And then they may look and look you up on Facebook. But anyway, all of that to say, I, I made it a business strategy to focus on Google uh, and then I got the negative review on Facebook. So now I've shifted it, trying to build up the Facebook reviews. Um, so if anything, my, my Google reviews has slowed down a little bit, but not much. Um, that's just kind of how I've approached that. And so, I mean, you know, coming back to you've been, you're, you're newer, you're starting out like I am. I've only been in the business a little over a year and a half. Um, you you don't want to come out with a pessimistic attitude, like, well, it's just going to happen. Um, but like a friend of mine said, one time I asked him how things are going. He's like, it's going great. I mean, it's going so good. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. We, what, and what does that mean? Yeah. Like, what does that look like? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah. we're all just kind of holding our breaths almost wondering. We are, we are. Yeah. But I think, don't you think preemptively we can prepare ourselves mentally for the, when the day comes, because it, it will come. I mean, we're all human. Nobody's going to maintain a five-star status in every yeah. social media platform for as long as you live. And uh, <laughs> if that's the expectation, you know, you're going to be disappointed. So we've got to realize we're all human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to miss things. Um, I loved what one of the, the guests on the Spectora podcast, a lady, I forget her name, but she said, when she hears customers badmouthing another inspector or saying, why didn't they catch this or stuff like that? She said, you know, this is a very difficult job and it's easy for anybody to miss something. I thought that, oh. that's just such a good, respectful way to uh, admit that we're all human. And this is a, this is a fallen, fallible, imperfect process as much as we may strive for it to be perfect. It's, it's not going to be, and we need to kind of reckon with that. Oh, that's just a class act. I think it was, it might've been Carrie Cheek. She's, she's great. And just says, you know, I think I, that's right. Yeah. If you just don't even associate yourself with that kind of energy, I, people feel that and people give you the benefit of the doubt all of a sudden. And you know, you're just helping your own cause and you're right. But yeah, you're right. I think we all need to realize even it's like, I blame Amazon for this because obviously there's so much like buying reviews and fake reviews on there. Um, that if you do have a hundred, 200, five-star perfect, people might question it. So, you know, a three or four star may not hurt you so bad, um, as bad as you think. And so I think we need to, yeah, get off the being perfect yeah. and, and think about how to respond because everyone reads the owner response, I think. They do. They do. And so that comes, I think, beforehand and just preparing mentally. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about before is, is uh, being clear on your objective as a company and who you are. And so for me, it's, delivering high quality uh, professional home inspections with the very best customer service experience and just that all around experience. And so we've talked about how, okay, I wanna try and filter everything I do, all the decisions I make through this grid and interpret the things that are going on through that. Um, so initially, man, I was, I, was, I was definitely knocked back and you know, trying to do my due diligence and on the legal side and the insurance side and just making sure I'm doing everything I need to do in terms of my responsibility. But then there's just the emotion aspect of like, man, I just got punched in the gut. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't really experienced this professionally in this business yet. And, and here it is, you know? Um, but I just came to the realization that, um, look, this is an opportunity 
to prove who we really are. I mean, we say we're about this particular kind of customer experience, professionalism, things like that. A, a setback, a negative review is a chance to prove that. You know, so are you going to just like come out swinging at the customer and bury them in data? I mean, my personality would lean that way. Uh, like this person's wrong and I'm going to give them 26 reasons. <laughs> right, right. And um, Okay. I mean, that might be great for if you're in court, but this is a person who has an unmet expectation, who's disappointed. Um, how can I honor them, clarify things and demonstrate to the watching world that um, we, we maintain a level of professionalism and customer service, even in how we respond to this review. So I thought, okay, this is an opportunity. You know, am I going to be beaten down by this? Or is this actually an opportunity where the general public can read and say, okay, this is the rubber has hit the road for this company and look how they handled it. Um, and not see it just as a setback, but see it as an opportunity to, to move forward and to, to demonstrate what you're all about. Yeah, that's where the class is shown and that's where it, it makes it just so much more relatable. And so, yeah, I think it's all, it's going to happen. And, and everyone's, I still see it every day. Alan, like people not going all in on reviews and try to engineer it and filter people this way or that way. And I, I don't like that because to me, you're not going all in on yourself and saying, I'm going to perform every day. And you know, if you, if that link's going out every day, whether you want, you know, like no matter what, you're going to do everything you can to make it a good experience. So like, I always, I encourage people like, send that link out automatically, set it up in your advanced or whatever, right. and just commit to it and realize you're going to get a crazy, the one or 2%. But it's worth it. And it, and it makes you, uh, don't you think it makes, like if this is Spector, if it's my company, don't you think it makes you more accessible to the general public? Like you don't come across as some untouchable elitist person, but you're like, you know, we're, we're like everybody else. We're, we're working very hard. We acknowledge we're not perfect, but we're, we're doing our, our very best to deliver a, a certain experience. Yeah. It humanizes all of us. And I that's, that's the, word. That's yeah. the goal is like people seeing you as a hardworking individual that cares about what you're doing. It's really hard to keep bashing someone when they just keep saying like, Hey, I have empathy for you. How can I help? How can we make it better? How can we come to a, an understanding? Right. And like, Something you can't keep kicking someone when they're down like that, right? Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, uh, a lot of home inspectors probably see themselves as perfectionists. And, and I know what we mean when we say, well, I'm just a perfectionist. But, you know, let's not have any pretenses. Nobody is perfect. I right. mean, right. when I think, well, I'm just a perfectionist. Implication, most of what I do is perfect. And every now and then I don't do something perfect. Like, nope. Let's. <laughs> it's kind of a presumptuous statement if we're being it's real. It's like, if, if yeah. you think about any of us that have said that, we're all probably guilty of it at some point. But when you think about it, you're like, oh, that is a little arrogant. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, the, so just recently, even with uh, the thing you and I were emailing about um, with Spectora, so um, the way that the and I don't know if you want me to use your name or not, but the way one of the, the texts responded in the chat bubble was very humble, very gracious, just realizing that uh, she didn't have some of the, the way it worked, just mm -hmm. quite lined out. And, um, and so, you know, maybe we could talk about that, but I thought that's a great, that's another great example of admitting your fault and, and how you handle that can really say a lot about the company. Uh, it like it is a mental framework and like a, it, I mean, this probably digs into everyone's deep rooted baggage and history and upbringing of like that default stance of like, Oh, let me make sure there's something we can do to help. Or like, ah, oh, like almost taking the blame by default. And that takes, I think, confidence and humility and we don't all do it. You know, we've, we've made our mistakes for sure of like thinking it's user error. And it's like, Oh crap, that's really on us. We, we need to fix that. Um, but yeah, I think all of us can take that default stance and we're all better off for it. Yeah. So what do you think are some things we can do to get better at that? And if, if we have a team working around us, how to build that into the team? Boy, I think talking about it, I think like literally, and I'm, you know, even in my personal life, I'm a big fan of, of stepping away from the work and just sitting and thinking about one topic and kind of just letting it sit as opposed, we all move so fast and we all, 
I think, you know, so many inspectors are busy and we're busy and that's a cop out of like, I'm just not devoting, like it's not important enough to devote time to <laughs> instead of that I'm busy. And so I think maybe sitting down and even writing out what your values are as a company or as an individual, um, just off the top of my head of like, Hey, I give people the benefit of the doubt. And like, if you can't say that genuinely, then you probably don't do that. And it's worth addressing and saying, do I want to give people the benefit of the doubt? Do I want to treat everyone with a blank slate and no expectations? And, um, yeah, yeah. that's good. What do you think? I, 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 how do you learn (laughs) to, uh, to do that? Yeah, it's, I think it's all what you're saying. It's at least all of that and just humble recognition of our own imperfections um, and just being quick, being quick to acknowledge that there may be something here that I'm not seeing. Um, I think our, in de- our defensive mode makes us say, oh, there's no way that's true. There's no way that's right. They're the, there are the ones that's wrong. That's knee-jerk reaction. But um, just being aware of uh, the fact that, man, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to do everything right. And so if we have that mindset, then when the accusation comes, you can say, okay, I'm willing to look into this. And uh, I heard a a counselor, I think it was, say that um, I want to accept 100% responsibility for whatever my wrong was in the situation, even if I was even if I'm only responsible for 2% of the situation. (laughs) Right, right. I like that. So 100% responsible for my 2% in the conflict. Um, just being willing to own stuff like that. And uh, so I, I think even just spiritually an awareness of that we live life before the face of God who is perfect. And so that should remind us that, man, we are not. We've got a long way to go. <laughs> so, yeah, and, right. uh, you know, in light of that, it's just it, it frees you to be honest since he knows and sees it all anyway. It frees you to be honest with where you're falling short, where you're not doing things right. And so I think that mindset enables you to bring to the table of conflict a, uh, a thinking that says, I could be missing something here and I'm willing to look into that. Um, so that's mentally, I mean, even just when I called my insurance company and said, uh, here's what the person is accusing me of. Um, I know that my very next response to this email is important. So how would you counsel me to reply to this email? <laughs> and he said exactly what we're saying, say, I'm willing to come over and look more deeply into the situation and take some pictures and review everything. And I will get back to you, you know, even just that sort of, which is a very stock legal response, you know, right. but even that, what, what's the assumption behind there? Um, it's that I could have missed something and I'm willing to examine it and look at it more fully and bring in another set of eyes on it and uh, look at it together. And once we understand fully what happened, then we will reply to you. I love it. Humility breaks down stubborn people that want to dig in and and will keep pushing against you until you show humility. And it just loosens everything up. It lightens everything up. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from John Robinson, he, I've had, had him on, you know, a while back, he would go into his agent presentations and that'd be one of his first things. You can't see me right now, but he'd walk in with his hand up, you know, basically Mm. like swearing an oath to be like, guys, Mm. we're going to miss something. We're going to miss things. We're going to make mistakes. That's one thing I promise you is that we're going to miss something at some point, but we're going to always come back to the table and make it right and find out what it is and see how we can, you know, make things right with you and your buyers. I just thought that was like, what a way to start a relationship with a, a room full of agents, right? Right. Oh, it's so good. Yep. It's not, it's not so much the mistakes you make, but how you handle those and what you do in response to that and uh, how you carry yourself through conflict and tense moments and all of that. Um, all of those things make a louder statement, don't you think, than just whatever wrong, like maybe, maybe you did refund the inspection fee because whatever, but um but it's more like the attitude and the demeanor with which you handled that person in that situation that's going to speak even more loudly than the refund. Oh, big time. And not to mention, think about like the day-to-day pressure we all feel with our careers and jobs and companies. I know a lot of tightly wound up home inspectors where I'm like, I wonder, I always wondered what's behind that, you know, like, you know, their personal life, but then 
you think of that pressure to be perfect and not miss something because you're worried about getting sued and you're worried about the agent being mad at you. And it's like, if you just had that conversation with everyone in the driveway to say like, Hey, I might miss something, but you know what? I'll come back and check it out. If I do do my best to not miss anything, but there's so many elements to a house. There's so many systems and components that they're not all going to get looked at with a, you know, <clears throat> with a, a close eye. So that just takes the pressure off you. Like you're still going to do a great job, but like, I feel like you relax the shoulders a little bit when you can tell someone that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's, <clears throat> it's disarming, isn't it? That yeah. Hum, you could say humility is disarming and um, people pick up on that. And just yesterday I was, uh, I did an inspection for a lady. And then at the end of the inspection, she was home. It was an 11 month warranty inspection. So at the end of the inspection, went over everything. I asked two or three times, do you have any other questions like I always do? And um, she said, no. Um, and, and I said, when y'all bought the house, did you get an inspection that first time around? And she said, yeah, we did. We did. And uh, they, the other inspector found a bunch of other things that you didn't mention. Well, <laughs> uh, okay. When somebody tells you that your first impulse is probably to be defensive or <laughs> to be afraid or to say, well, I mean, I, you know, yeah. you're thinking of your response and everything. And, and I just said, okay, no, this is an opportunity to demonstrate humility, to demonstrate customer service. So I said, oh, okay, really? Well, um, like what? I'd be happy to take a look at it. There's a good chance I could have missed something. And she went down and listed about a dozen things. And uh, as she's gone down the list, I said, oh, gee, I, no, I, I don't remember seeing that. I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember seeing a live wire in the closet and like all these different things. And at the end of it, she said, yeah, I mean, he found all those things. Oh, but I mean, we called the builder and he fixed every one of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that, okay. That's why I didn't find those things. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. You know, but if I had just come out with some defensive answer, um, would have been a good know, look. Like, well, well, I mean, a home inspection isn't supposed to be exhaustive, so you can't expect me to find everything. I mean, it says that in the pre-inspection agreement. Did you read paragraph two? And <laughs> oh, yeah. There's guys that, that just come across that way. And that's um, such, you just teed that up so perfect of how to respond and how not to respond. So that's a, a nugget right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just hearing it, you know? We all listen to that. I'm like, oh, that does sound kind of icky when you're on the other end of that. Yeah. It's just good to say, you know, oh, really? Okay, well, that's possible. I could have missed something. What, can you give me some examples? Like, what did, what did he find that I didn't? And, and just listen and be willing to say, yeah, let's go look at it together. I love so. it. I love it. Um, let's shift gears here so we can cruise yeah. through some of this stuff. Let's talk about prices. It's a, another hot button issue, another one probably everyone loves hearing about and debating. Yeah. Um, I, pricing in our industry, I, I just as a blanket statement, I think, the home inspections are a bargain given what's found, given the actionable insight that comes from them. Yes, I'm biased, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. I, I think they should be higher. Should new inspectors be coming in and being low? Everyone worries about a race to the bottom. So what, what do you just generally think about home inspection prices and where they should go as an industry and, and kind of what impacts them? Well, part, part of me says we should be charging way higher. I mean, mm -hmm. Somebody's buying a million dollar house and uh, they're going to, they're going <laughs> to pay $700 for an inspection. <laughs> right. Boy, I mean, the, the, the amount of liability that I take on by willing, being willing to step foot on that property is worth more than $750 or so. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I think if anything, the, the price should be in the upward direction. Um, and then I think people just people just need to decide what kind of inspector they want to be. So I've got a buddy who told me the other day, I'm not trying to be a bottom feeder, mm -hmm. which is good. I think that's a good mindset. Um, with that, we should remember that there are customers who, who you might say are looking for the bottom feeders. Right. So some customers are going to call me and they're going down a list of home inspectors and they're going to choose the cheapest guy. Well, uh, I'll tell them up front, I may not be the cheapest guy, but here's the value that you get for the price you would be paying if you used me. Um, if you're just looking for the cheapest guy, uh, the least expensive inspector, there's probably some other folks that will be able to deliver that. Um, so, I, you know, in, in terms of my business model, I am perfectly okay with not landing every single phone call that comes my way and converting mm -hmm. that to an inspection. 
so I, I've had to come to terms with this. It's taken a while, but I've had to come to terms with that, that fact to say, if this client is looking for the cheapest guy in town and I get that impression, I am perfectly fine with losing that customer because that's not who I am. And, um, and if he feels like he overpaid, you're kind of setting yourself up for conflict down the road. Yes. And, um, you know, cause he, again, it's expectations, right? So he has all these expectations and he's expecting that since he paid more, blah, blah, blah. You know, when from the beginning, all he wanted was the cheapest guy and maybe the cheapest guy was unavailable. And so he had to go with you and he's upset from the beginning that he's paying a little more than he wanted. I mean, it's like, do we want to be working with those kind of customers? Now there may be an inspector out there who says, yeah, that's my bread and butter. I mean, I'm all about quantity. I'm, I'm in and out of the house in 45 minutes to an hour and I'm just trying to do as many as I can. And to which I say, uh, you know, I guess more power to you that that's not my model. Um, yeah. So do you stick, yeah. Do you think there's a place for that in the, like, do you believe there that helps keep the ecosystem healthy in a sense, or do you think there needs to be more education for new inspectors of burnout and churn and, and kind of educating them of efficient, like economics, essentially? Yeah. Well, I think you're, the, the answer is in your question. I definitely think there needs to be better education and how we think about it because um, we have to guard against thinking that we do this in a vacuum. Um, right. Anytime we quote a price, anytime we show up to a property, we're not just representing our business, we're representing an industry. And so to the degree that we privatize and individualize our work, um, we're actually hurting the industry, even if we think we're helping ourselves. Right. And so uh, maybe you, you know, get, the, get a little bit of extra income in the short run, but if you're in this for the long haul, you've got to think about how can I raise the bar for my entire industry over the next 20 years? And um, that's going to change your pricing model. I think it would have to have bearing on that. And so, you know, yeah, I, I, even, even starting out, I, I, I wasn't the guy who said, I'm just going to, you know, like do this amazing special right off the bat where I'm just giving away a bunch of home inspections or something. Um, because that's that's making a statement and it's setting a precedent. And so is that the statement that I'm trying to make, that I am willing to drop my price to whatever just to get work? Uh, no, that, I didn't want to make that statement from the beginning. So I, I came in at what I felt like was just below average pricing for my area. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like that was fair because it acknowledged the fact that I'm new and I don't have the experience that the other guys have. But I'm, I'm also not trying to be the cheapest guy in town. I want to maintain some standard and, um, and then work to earn my right to raise my prices. I like that. So you did feel some sense of responsibility by saying like, yeah, I'm not going to undercut by 25%, but I'm going to just price it to where I believe I am in the market while still uh, having a good dollars per hour, you know, earnings or dollar per job. Right. I love right. that. And, um, you know, my experience in May and June of this year is uh, in May, I did more inspections by quantity, but in June, I did fewer inspections by quantity and, and but made more, generated more revenue. Interesting. Um, so isn't that, I mean, that's just makes sense as a business model is how can I do, uh, you know, slightly less work and keep my sanity and yet still increase my revenue. Um, so, you know, if we're all asking that question and how to get there, I think that'll coming back to what you said in your question, that'll help us guard against burnout and sacrificing the things that are most important to us and family and recreation and rest and realizing that none of us are the energizer bunny. I guess I just dated myself. Does that guy even exist? <laughs> but That's a good question. Like we're, we're, we all need rest and recreation and need to hit the pause button and clear our heads and, um, you know, when you're, when you're having dreams at night about, did I, did I mention grounding and bonding of CSST? And you know, <laughs> you're, you're like dreaming about that, like, man, it's time for a break. And um, so how can you price yourself so that you're building in that margin, you're thinking long-term, you're raising the bar for the industry. And um, I think those are all things that inspectors would do well to think about. You nailed it with thinking long-term because I think of it as like partly a, a runway um, conversation of 
like activity just feels good, right? Like I think, you know, we, we talk with our teams, Victoria, even of like, not just doing activity for the sake of feeling productive, but actually like having a good result and tracking it and, and paying attention to the economics of it. Because I, I think inspectors, like if they get, a, they just get that relationship, then that leads to future inspections as opposed to saying, well, I have, a, I have enough time to play this out and dictate, like let my vision for what I'm going to make dictate my pricing as opposed to this like one, two, three month sprint. I think that's why we see so much churn in our industry or part of why we see so much churn is it feels like that quick sprint to sustainability, but it comes at the cost, like you said, of setting precedents and pigeonholing yourself as the, the 250 or $300 inspector. Right. Right. And so I, I don't know how to solve that other than like long-term view having savings or, you know, a spouse that can support you doing it the slow and sustainable way, which is really hard in our society because everyone, you know, we're all attracted to shiny things and squirrels where it's like make six figures in your first year and, you know, everything's in a rush. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, part of it may be, you know, a lot of folks are coming from a, uh, a trade background and so they're not really entrepreneurial. Um, I think on the last episode you and I did, we talked about the e-myth uh, mm-hmm. by Michael Gerber. And so I think if you, if you're, if your default is to think like a trade guy, well, you know, if you were a painter, you're going to walk into a house and eye it up and then turn around and quote the customer. And if you're real, real busy, you're going to quote high. And if you have a dead week, you're going to quote low. And so a, a trade guy is always basing his price based on what is happening in the moment. You know, so they're not always thinking long term, but if you started your own home inspection company, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you have to think long term. And so it's not just, you know, adjusting your prices constantly based on the need at the moment, but to think, um, how can I price myself in such a way that is competitive, but at at the same time sends a message that, um, that leaves people feeling like, well, he might be a little expensive, but he's one of the best in our area. Um, like if people can say that, that's a high compliment in my book. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and like to, you know, anyone in their first year, I obviously like, um, you know, people not knowing your name or having a, a, a clear vision of what your brand is hits new inspectors. And so I think like it's a marketing problem partly too, of like not feeling equipped because you've been, you know, you, you are coming from construction or plumbing with how to articulate your value and what's different about you and why they should use you. And I think that's, that comes into a website. It comes into branding. It comes into giving conscious thought and talking to other people that are, you know, are better at that than you are to say, Hey, how can I make myself stand out and kind of validate this price I want to charge? Cause to me, right. yeah, the easy cop out is they don't put thought into that and then they go low on price and then it just creates this kind of cycle. Right. Right. And I, and I recently uh, lost a, a realtor for that exact reason. So she thought that uh, I was doing WDI inspections and, and I told her no. And she said, well, I've got another inspector who could do the house inspection and the WDI for the same price that you're doing the, just the house for. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, well, I trust you to do what you think is going to be in the best interest of your clients. And I would love to be that guy. And uh, certainly not every inspector is the same. And um, if, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to clarify what we're all about. And many of your customers have gone online and left great reviews and um, they've seemed satisfied up to this point. So if it's not a good fit, I understand. Um, but but that, that person was basically looking for the cheapest guy in town, you know, so you're going to save, save a little bit of money and, and, and lose quality. Uh, maybe I think, um, I don't know who she was talking about, so I can't say that definitively, but, um, I, I have to, I had to be willing to say, I'm going to hold the line here. I'm not going to say, well, okay, I'll, I'll lower my price because just to stay competitive. Um, I think that sends the wrong message, you know? Oh gosh, the, the worst. I, yeah. And I mean, it makes you question your own, like internally, it sends yourself a message. One thing, you know, internally, yeah. what is it? What are you kind of reinforcing in your own mind? And then two to the marketplace. I just don't get having been an agent. I don't understand that price shopping by the agent. If they're not 
especially if they're not the ones paying for it. So like, what did I, I want to know what those conversations are like with the agent and buyer, you know, is the agent put themselves in a good light? They're like, Oh, I got you the best price. I negotiated for you. And like, that's not doing their client the best service uh, at all. And so I just, I don't get that. That's something I, I, I failed to understand. Yeah, I don't understand that either. But I would ask you as an agent, isn't there a liability if the agent is is shopping for the client to find the cheapest guy in town and then recommending that inspector to the client? Seems like there'd be a big liability for the agent in that. Oh, there's liability for sure. And I think I've I've been to a few talks or watched a few webinars where it was an agent speaking to home inspectors. And I believe his his stance was that the agents by the numbers have a greater liability when it comes to the home inspection because a lot of folks will go back to the agent and say this is on you and i'm coming after you and so huge liability and then two there's just like future pain that you could prevent by trying to find the, the highest quality highest value inspector because yeah if you go cheap that's future phone calls for you with your buyer that you're just going to deal with right yeah, and it may come back to just there are different kinds of buyers. So there's the person who's looking for the cheapest guy or or the person who's just checking a box. And and so, you know, if that's who you want to work with, fine. But um, it's just I, I've learned that up to this point that, you know, not every client is the same. There are those people who actually want somebody who's going to do a good job. And then there are those people who are saying, my bank requires it. Just get it done. I don't care. Like they're not, not even going to look at the report. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. crazy. I almost wish there was a price floor somehow of like, or something that, you know, like I always think of ways Spector as a company can use our voice to kind of, um, you know, do good for this cause because it's something obviously makes logical sense to me and I believe. And so, um, but it, yeah, I think it's, it's content, it's education, it's, and do you think it's appropriate to even start that when the customer calls you? Like, is it possible for them to call and all they're doing is checking a box and, you know, just lining something up because they're supposed to, but by the end of the call, you've converted them to the belief that this is actually a really important part of what I'm doing in buying a house. Oh, and that's the hard work that, you know, that you guys don't get enough credit for that do it well, where, you do kind of put on the, the sales hat or the relationship building hat or the education hat. And, you know, you earn that couple hundred bucks at 400 bucks, 500 bucks by spending time with someone to talk through it. And so that it's like what, sometimes it's one by one. And uh, mm. so everyone that's fighting the good fight doing that, I think you're, you're part of a bigger picture that's helping people understand the value of a home inspection. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Um, speaking of that, I mean, pricing obviously so tied in with supply and demand. Are, are there a ton of home inspectors in, in and around your area? Do you feel like there's too many, too little? Well, um, I don't know how exactly to measure that. I know that in my community, there's uh, about 350,000 people and there are around 67 inspectors, 65 to 70 inspectors. Mm -hmm. um, and then another metric is if we, if we close in, in Midland, Texas, if we close 250 houses in a month, we had a very busy month. 250? So, okay. Yeah, 250. Oh, so, everyone should know their numbers, by the way. Like if everyone can just do what you just did, go research it. I think like that's so essential to just understanding your, mar your own market and the economics behind it. So like kudos to you for just knowing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That those are good numbers to know because the next thing you want to ask is uh is talk about market share. And so if you if you, if we say there's on average 200 closings a month, I'm one out of 67 inspectors, I'm doing 30 inspections a month, mm -hmm. then what percent of the market share am I taking and what percent of the inspectors out there do I represent? So if mm -hmm. I'm taking one eighth of the inspections and I'm one out of 67 inspectors, well that's a pretty good market share. Um, right. Right. So like figuring out what those numbers are can kind of help you gauge, okay, um, on the supply demand question, am I in demand? Um, or am I not even coming close to taking an equal market share? And, and on that point, I mean, just not to get off onto economics, but um, it's, it's not realistic at all to think that uh, 
everybody is going to have perfect equality and equity in the market. Right. Uh, I mean, under capitalism, some people are going to be way more busy and other people are going to be way, way less busy. And so that's okay to have that disparity. And there are different kinds of inspectors for different kinds of clients. And so we, we shouldn't expect perfect equality, but it is, it is a metric. I mean, it is something that we can look at and say, okay, what percent of the market share am I taking? And what percent of the market of inspectors do I represent? And compare those numbers. The hardest part to me is finding the, the active in the business inspectors versus the hobbyists, the ones that kind of fade off, riding off into the sunset, doing it for family and friends, just retired, has a pension because they kind of, I've just talked to so many over the years that just kind of cruise, you know, they just, they're okay with it. They don't market, they don't have a web, you know, they don't build a nice website. They don't really meet with agents. They're not really trying to grow and sustain. Yeah. Do you view that as competition? You not, you know, like that's, that's just the gray area of really trying to find out how many inspectors are in the business. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, uh, I'm counting them because I I have no way of knowing which ones are active and working and which ones are doing this on the side and all that. So I, I just, you kind of just have to go with the numbers and then caveat it with, yeah, but some of those guys may not be uh, actually actively working anymore. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, maybe in a small town, you can figure out who the core people are and then start to use those in your metrics. I'm curious as a single, a single man operator, um, do you worry about, or do you, do you care much about multi-inspector companies scooping up market share coming into other markets? Do you believe in that as a thing? Like I hear it sometimes that people like multis wanting to get into other cities and kind of growing, but our industry is still so fragmented, right? It's, it is. Yeah. And, um, I don't know that, I, I would be curious how that would vary across the different states and um, just kind of the way people view business and economics and how that varies from state to state and locality to locality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that uh, if it was a, like a larger franchise that was trying to move into my market, I don't think they would do super well um, because we're not a huge, massive city. And I think people still want that uh, personal interaction, both realtors and clients. Mm. Most of them want to be able to talk to somebody and visit with you on site. And, and so if, if it's a big franchise multi, the, even if it's not true, the impression may be that you're not going to get that. Right. Um, you know, and so, yeah, it's, it would be like calling AT&T or something. You know, you're going to be on the phone for an hour and a half before you talk to anybody. Um, just kind of that mindset. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I bet it varies from place to place. I know for me personally, I would like to start a, a multi-inspector firm, but only two to three inspectors and, and only to the degree that I can still maintain my core values and, and advance them through the other inspectors, not go multi at all cost. Right. Um, yeah. So I think there may be one, uh, like a franchise multi in our area, but, uh, my impression is that they don't stay super busy and I don't know how great the reputation is in terms of quality. So uh, if I ever do go multi, I'm going to want to be sure and avoid that pitfall. Yeah. I just wonder if that'll always be the way it is because of the relationships, because agents build their own business through relationships. And so they, by extension, will always want that with home inspectors and it's just hard to do at scale. Like it's, it's, it's any business. Anything's hard to do at scale if it's not careful and, and very intentional. So yeah, it, it always fascinates me to, to think of if there is a sea change in what it is and, and, you know, ways we can all be aware of it if something is changing, but yeah, yeah. it's yeah. tough. It is. Yeah. You mentioned uh, keeping kind of your values and quality of life. Um, that's always fascinating to me because a lot of inspectors are listening to this are probably experiencing big growth and things kind of getting out of whack, what work-life balance and kind of keeping the wheels on the bus. I can relate to that, you know, as well, just with, with our growth and trying to keep things going. How do you continue to have that guiding light, like without sacrificing sleep, time, health, you know, like how do you view all that? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th I think it, a big part is uh, f family is so important and um, just where we're getting our values from. I mean, so for me, as a Christian person, I mean, I'm thinking I'm, what the Bible says about work and work ethic informs a lot. And so um, I see from there that I should never sacrifice my family uh, for the benefit of more money or more work. And uh, in the end, is that really going to be worth it? And um, so I think those kind of values are just real important. We could be so busy just uh, chasing the American dream, chasing money that we um, we sacrifice things that are important to us, things that we love. And so uh, I just try to, you know, read, even read things to help me think through some of that. And, um, and then going back to where we started the conversation about humility and and being willing to be told you're way too busy, you know, to have your wife say, you've been using your evenings a whole lot lately to finish reports, you know, okay, how can I scale back? Um, maybe not book them so tight to up against one another and just jam pack my schedule. Um, so being willing to be told where uh, you're getting out of balance here by those that you love. Um, so that and that just takes humility to hear that and to receive that and to be willing to make course adjustments for that um so it's it's great to try and work hard and make a lot of money and do do well and provide for your family and have savings and everything but at some point that cost the cost to get that is going to be crossing the line of paying a price that you're not willing to pay so probably everybody just needs to know where's my line at what point am I going to say okay that's too much if I have to you know and maybe just articulate that with with measurable uh measurable waypoints like okay if I if I'm spending three nights a week uh, in the evening writing reports for me that's too much so right. if I get to that point I need to scale back I like defining it I like that a define lot. it yeah, because that's going to be different. I mean, if you don't have kids and your wife works nights and maybe the best time for you to work is in the evening. <laughs> true, so true. Load I don't up. want to create a, a one size fits all. It, it depends on your situation. But knowing where, what, what is the too much for you? Define that, articulate it, get some accountability with family, friends to say, you know, help me measure this. And if I'm crossing that point, reel me in so that I don't want to lose my sanity in this process. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And I think I'd mentioned before, I, I have a background in healthcare. And uh, for many years, I worked on a cardiac floor with heart patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the first, this happened many times, actually, but the first time this happened, it really had an impact on me. I had a guy who was 39 years old and in very, very good shape physically, um, athletic, ate super healthy and all of that. And he was on our floor because he had a massive heart attack. And the reason he had heart attack, had a heart attack was because of the, the amount of stress that was in his life. And, uh, and so he was having this moment in the hospital of just realizing like, man, physically I could be super healthy, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I could be very unhealthy. And, um, that might not show up in my blood pressure in my, and in my, uh, my blood glucose levels and all that, but it can catch up with you. I mean, it's amazing the physiological effect that stress has on the body. And so as a young 20 something year old, I'm, I'm looking at that guy like, wow, see, it's not just like the old overweight smokers that are having heart attacks. Stress can do it at a young age. And that was just very sobering for me. Um, so that experience has, has made me say, okay, I've got to, I've got to watch this, but um, my personality is such that I want to go a million miles a minute and never take a day off. <laughs> so it's hard work to not do that. It takes constant focus. I think, you know, I think yeah. like reevaluating goals often reevaluating that, that balance often and slowing down a little bit. I think our, our world moves so fast now and we're all just getting programmed to move fast with it. And so, yeah, I know I always just try to, to take that, those minutes of peace and quiet and, and let it sit so and you have to be intentional right they don't happen by default do they no <laughs> no it's got to be carved out yeah it's got to you got to tell yourself or put it on your calendar and stick to it you know and that's takes discipline I've, 
Yeah, I started using Spectora for that. And um, so I'll go into my calendar on the dashboard and I'll, you know, the, you have the event option and I'll put off. And um, I just put it on my calendar because it, a few months back I was, I was saying, I was telling my wife, well, I'm going to take Saturday off. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, then somebody goes online and books an inspection. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody booked an inspection and we do need to, we do need, I do need to work. We do yeah. need money. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And, you know, and then I, she helped me realize, okay, I just need to like actually block it on Spectora so that people don't book an inspection that day. And every time I do, I've been so thankful that I have done that. I'm able to spend time with my kids and do things around the house so that my wife feels cared for it. I'm not neglecting things that she's wanting done in, in her domain, which is the home and raising boys. And I'm so thankful for her. Um, but I need to be taking care of that too. You know, it's not just the paycheck. It's how am I con conveying my care for my family um, on my days off too. So that, that has got to be just equally as important as making the money. And the crazy thing is, is I empathize so much with how hard it is given the way our industry works with not knowing there's always that uncertainty of when the next jobs come in and it's not predictable and it's not constant. And I totally understand the other side of that. Right. Whereas everyone's yeah. like, Hey, make hay while the sun's shining or whatever. And there's something to that. And so it's that constant like toggle and, and kind of that ebb and flow of, allowing that to happen at times and knowing what's at risk, whether it's a certain agent or really a certain relationship and how much you're willing to give. And it just, man, it just takes being so on point all the time to know what the risk and reward is for every decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at the risk of oversimplifying it, um, I, I think if you're asking those questions and, and just even what you said, if you're, if you're thinking that way, I think a lot of this is going to take care of itself. I mean, so here, here what we said earlier about being intentional and all that, yes. But it's more, I think, the, the, the folks that need to be most concerned are the ones that are just going and blowing and not, not giving a whole lot of thought to this kind of stuff. But if, you're, if you find yourself really wrestling through it, like, man, I got to get work. I can't turn down an inspection, but I need time off. And, and you're, you're wrestling through that. That's a much better place to be at than someone who's just subject to the flow of the current at the moment and you're just swept up in it. And uh, it's all about having that mindset and asking the right questions and being aware of the things we're talking about. That's a huge starting point. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you think COVID is going to catch up you know, with our industry in this winter? We, we referenced it earlier, but I'm curious what you think. Um, There's gonna be a wild next couple months just in general. It's going to be a wild couple of months, and I, I think it's going to vary from location to location and uh, political leanings of a community compared to the political leanings of other communities. Mm -hmm. um, but it comes back to, are we going to see this as a setback, or are we going to see it as an opportunity to progress and to grow? And, um, you know, the, the Jim Collins, uh, good to great, and just that's the whole premise in that is – uh, when, you, when you're met with adversity and setback, are you able to convert that into progress and growth for the company? And so uh, that is mostly a mindset and secondarily a strategy. So, um, yeah, so I think the way we think about it is just so key. And uh, was it Benjamin Franklin or somebody who said, whether you think you can or you don't think you can, you're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so if we think, okay, man, COVID's going to hit us this winter. It's going to be bad. I'm going to be down to 10 inspections a month. And okay, so if that happens, what am I doing? How am I going to be reaching out to clients, reaching out to realtors and uh, checking on people, how they're doing? I think you had a guy on this podcast back in April, May or so early on in COVID um, that was talking all about this and, and uh, talking about just how he was calling realtors and saying, hey, I know this hits everybody and I'm sure you're impacted by it. How are you doing? during this crazy time mm. and just like that personal care and reaching out to people, man, that, that's just goes such a long way. So, uh, he, and he, I remember, I mean, he did a very good job talking about turning adversity and setback into opportunity and really seeing it as opportunity to expand and grow and improve the business. Even if you're not out there boots on the ground, doing inspections, um, you're I, doing things that are going to anticipate the turnaround and, let you be able to come back stronger. I 
I love that 1000% have a plan. Don't let life happen to us, you know, as an industry yes. and as inspectors. And, and we, we take on that mentality. The irony, I think of, of what you're referencing, I think it was Rob Lemoyne, who I believe is one of the top five biggest companies in the country. And he still thinks like that. So like, if he can do it while managing 30, 40, 50 people, granted, yeah, he has time to probably strategize and do these things. But boy, if someone like that is thinking about how they can stay connected with their local community and their agents, gosh, we can all do it, you know? And I think that's... How much more the sole proprietor? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> how much more the sole proprietor that, that should be able to do that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a very good point. And so, yeah, I think coming into, you know, coming into any uncertainty, it's easy to, I think for all of us to kind of freeze up and do the wait and see as opposed to staying proactive. And, and there's always something we can do. There's always, there's always a connection you can make. There's always, if that's what you want to do, you know what I mean? If that, I think if you're wanting to continue to put your business in the best possible position, which I think most people listening to this want, <laughs> I think, yeah. uh, staying around that high vibe and that high energy and realizing that, okay have a plan of attack either way. And I think you, you said it so well of saying there's always something you can do and it's, there's always an opportunity, just be, be ready for it. And then you're going to look back and say, Oh wow, I got lucky for some reason during that phase or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. What else is, what else is interesting to you at this point in time, you know, looking at the industry or even your own business? Um, yeah. Um, you know, just, Lately, uh, we, we touched on this earlier, but so many of our clients that call us just don't understand what a home inspection is. Their realtor said, hey, you need to get an inspection. Here's a list of four or five people you should call to set it up. Let me know what date and time y'all schedule. Well, I, I, we just can't assume that the average caller even knows what we do. Um, and so you get a lot of people who are confusing you with the appraiser or <laughs> they just don't know. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Yeah. And so, uh, so, so often we just have to uh, be willing to ask that. And I just, I've found lately that's been on my mind a lot lately is just how can I educate the general public about this industry and what we do as a whole and not see everything as an opportunity to make a buck. So uh, just one example is, is, well, before I say the example, so, Seeing my role as I'm here to Im improve awareness of the industry as a whole. I hope I land the job, but even if I don't, I want this customer to come away more aware of what home inspectors are, do and what we're all about is very important to me because that educates the general public. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I've started a, a blog on my website to try and provide some educational pieces about simple things we do and what should a seller do if uh, now that their home inspection is scheduled? Uh, what what should the seller do to get their house ready? Should the buyer be there? Should how long is it going to take? You know, just trying to answer questions like that. But yesterday, this guy called me and was asking about um, foundation inspections and everything. And I I probably spent 10, 15 minutes on the phone with him just explaining um, what we do and what we look at and what we don't look at and when you would need a structural engineer and when you need a foundation contractor and how it all works and the option period and all of that. I mean, 10, 15 minutes. I knew from the first few minutes that I was not the guy he was looking for and I was not going to get the job, but I still felt a sense of obligation to explain things to him, to educate him, to help him understand it. Because even if he doesn't use me, he might go recommend me to somebody else. But even if he doesn't, I've educated the public. And um, so just seeing ourselves as that, that's an important part of our role. Now, some people, maybe the, the call center folks would say, what are you doing spending 10 to 15 minutes of your time on a phone call with a customer that you're never going to do a job for? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, true, and there needs to be a balance there. If I'm doing that multiple times in inspection, that could be a problem. But, um, but, if, but if, I've, if I say, no, I see part of my role as an inspector is to help the people in my community who are buying houses understand how this stuff works. And um, so I'll, I'll spend a few minutes, you know, just explaining it to him. That guy was so thankful for that. So is there any uh, responsibility yeah. for the agents to provide their buyers with maybe that those basic kind of FAQs or is that, is that on us as an industry, you know, when they get to, to us? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it would be nice if they would. I don't know that they will. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> some of them do. Um, the, you know, we talked about the agents who are just checking a box for their customer, just getting it done as a formality. True. Um, they're not going to take the time to do that by, by any means. But um, I, I just don't assume anymore that the agent is doing anything in the way of educating their buyer. Right. So when, once they connect with me, I, I just try to understand where they coming from. Have you ever had a home inspection before? And, you know, just kind of start with some of that so I can understand who I'm dealing with. But yeah, I would, I would love for agents uh, to, to understand better. I remember teaching a couple of classes at Keller Williams uh, here uh, about what home inspectors do and what home inspections are all about and all that. And agents were coming up after saying, I had no idea that was so informative and, I wasn't sure how it all worked. And granted, some of them were newer agents, but it's like, yeah, there's a whole part of this of like just educating agents about why we do what we do and, and all of that. Um, certainly their concern is different and, and rightly so different from what an inspector's concern would be. So they're, they're worried about the real estate negotiation. Um, whereas I, I'm way beyond that. I want the homeowner to know what kind of things they're going to be dealing with next year uh, when it rains and that flashing is not correct. And now you have a big leak in your attic and, you know, I mean, there, there's just a lot more than just the negotiation piece. Um, right. I want to help them understand home maintenance and longevity of their HVAC and water heater. And, you know, agents aren't so much concerned about that. So yeah, there's a couple of pieces to that that are real important. There's probably ways we can innovate there. There's probably something that could be done at some point, but we'll, we'll dig into it another time. But, uh, yeah. But, but hey, I know we're bumping up against time here. Uh, I know we both got to run, got a thing coming up. But like, this is, I think this was a, a, a massive success. I'm, I'm pumped to do more of these where we just throw topics around and just weigh in on them. So can't yeah. thank you enough again, Alan. This is great. Man. Yeah, it's great. And I would love to uh, to just have one where we interview you, you know, and <laughs> hear, hear more of the Spectora story and how you've gotten to where you're at. And you're always interviewing other people, but... I think the community would love to hear more about you. So. We'll do it. We'll do it soon, my man. Yeah, it'll be good. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of your day, man. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank